Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and, increasingly, stuff. My guest today is someone I've been following for rather a long time, and I was really keen to have her as a guest on the podcast. Rebecca, would you like to introduce yourself? Of course I would. It's um, an absolute pleasure to, to be on the podcast with you. So I guess introducing myself I suppose first and foremost is to say I'm a human being but um, I'm trying to you know I make it up as I go along trying to make sense of this life Um, I'm a mum with three grown-up kids I'm a well-being and resilience coach I've been doing that that's my job if you like I've been doing that for gosh 13 14 years now Um, I'm also an author I've got two books published I'm about to start another one or in fact, another two. Um, I love life. I, I, you know, I the the ups and downs of it. Um, but actually, I love life, and I think that's one of the things that I share most in my work is helping people who are a bit stuck in life in whatever way that is. I work with people in midlife. I also work with people alongside my daughter that are recovering from eating disorders. So that's families, so parents, as well as those that are struggling. And I read a quote once from someone that said, uh, talking about coaching, and they said, we have the best job in the world. We get to sit with people, tap them gently on the shoulder as they wake up to the full magnificence of life. And I think that's really cool. I feel so grateful to have this work, that personal development was something I was always interested in from quite a young age. I, I, I suffered depression in the past, probably, well, I'm, fif- I'm 57 now, and probably a decade of my life on and off, not all in one block, but I, I suffered with depression. Um, I know what it's like to feel really, really shit, excuse me, if I'm allowed to swear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and and I've come out the other side. And for me, I was always looking for um, an answer, looking for something. Um, so back in the day, I read every self-help book that was going. Some of it helped, some of it didn't. Um, that's I, We can come on to that at another point, but it's the book is written. It worked for the author that wrote it. Um, and then... I got to a point where I was feeling better that I would have friends phone and say, have you got half an hour? And I'd say, yes, I'm putting the kettle on, come over. And one friend said to me, I don't know what it is you do, but I always feel better when I've spent time with you. And it got me thinking, well, maybe, so my my children were growing up. Um, I'd taken time off. I feel very lucky I was able to take time off to, to be at home with them. I'd always done bits and pieces on the side, but nothing full time. And then I thought, well, why don't I explore that? Why don't I actually become a coach and help people find 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 the joy back in their life, I guess, or find the job that's going to fulfill them or the relationship that that will fulfill them. Um, and that's kind of where it started, really, 14 years ago, and it's just evolved since then. 
I have no business plan. <laughs> it's just, it's just keeping my eyes and my heart open, I guess, to see what comes along. And, um, and I love it. So is that, that's a bit of a, a, a rambling intro. <laughs> No, it's it's very interesting. Um, it reminds me of this um, this thing I heard recently about uh, recently about men over fifty um, having this need to disperse their wisdom to the world, but being so frustrated because no one wants to listen to them. <laughs> but I guess uh, I guess they just need to sort of rebrand themselves as coaches, and maybe they will find someone willing to listen. Well, it, but it's interesting because you know, yeah, co- coaching is. Um, it's becoming so so much more respected. It's an unregulated industry, so it's worth saying that you know I am professionally qualified um, and have been. Um, co- Coaching is about listening and seeing that your client they're, they're the expert on their life. All right. So I'm I'm not a consultant in that way. I'm not an advisor. But it's holding a space for someone to explore what they already know and helping them uncover that, begin to trust themselves, listen to their own wisdom and intuition, which they know is there. So my job is to, um, I mean, I, I talk a lot in metaphor, but it's almost like when people are living I mean, you usually wear glasses, don't you, as well? Yep. Um, so, and I'm I'm a contact lens wearer and a glasses wearer, but so often, and, and even now, my glasses are, could do with a clean, all right? And when I take them off and clean them, I put them back on and I go, oh, that's what it looks like. So in a way, that's what I feel like coaching is, is, is helping people clean, handing people the glasses cloth <laughs> so that they can clean their own glasses and then they can see properly. And um, and I it, does that make sense? It sounds to me that it's a bit like being a psychologist, but instead of helping people find their problems, you're helping them find their solutions. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And it's it's acknowledging um, the past and maybe looking at patterns that have got us to where we we keep reliving them. But actually realizing that we, are, we, we live in the moment. The past, is, the past is history. And we only, we keep reliving it through our memory when we bring it back into the present. Um, and uh, so, so what we're trying, what so many people are trying to do is to reform, reshape the past, whereas actually it's done. Um, and and the and the future is purely in our imagination. You know, I, I yeah, I can have plans and goals and things like that, but but actually, when we are fixated on it's got to look like this, then we cause ourselves so much suffering. Because actually, yeah, I could have plans for this month, the re- the rest of this month, and it could go completely pear shape from my plan and then I think I failed oh you know new year's resolutions a great one you know yeah have have plans and ideas but if we become fixated on a you know I will only be successful if I have 
you know, done, done, done as I said I would on the 31st of December, then we drag that around with us. Um, and that can be, you know, that, that, that's tough. And, you know, another, another, this is going to be full of metaphors, but another one that I love is it's like, and certainly by the time we get to midlife, we're carrying around a great big 75 liter rucksack on our back of stuff, right? Mental stuff. And actually nobody's told us we can put it down. So we can we can go through it and go, no, that doesn't serve me anymore. Nope, nor that one. Yeah, that's useful. I'll put that in my day bag or my bum bag. But actually all the rest of that stuff, labels, labels that we've been given or given ourselves. Um, I, I, you know, I'll give you an example of that. When I was in school, so I was 13 years old and – um, I was doing okay in school. My English teacher, humili- well, I felt humiliated by my English teacher as she stood in front of my desk, slammed down my exercise book in front of me and said, how come you are so useless at English? How come you are great at French, great at Latin, great at Welsh, because I was learning, because I'm, I'm from Wales and I, it, was part, you know, it was on our curriculum, but you have no imagination in English. So instead of brushing that off, I believed her. And Nick, I believed her for 35 years. All right? 35 years. Where that that label was, I have no imagination, I can't write. So I didn't read much because I felt, lack lacking in everything I didn't I, I scrape well I you know I, I part that's the funny thing I passed all my other subjects but I at the my O level at the time which is the you know GCSEs now age at age 16 I failed English language all right failed English language um and I I went through uni, but I, you know, anything to do with language, the written word, I studied French. <laughs> that was the best thing for me to do because it didn't involve English. All right. And then the change happened when I was studying to be training to be a coach. And I was in a conference center in a hotel in Hammersmith in central London. And the people, and there were about 60, 70 people on the course. And people would come up to me. And I was terrified on that course because I, again, felt um, lack. And people, a number of people came up to me on the course and said, you know, what, you know, what do you do? Are you a journalist? I nearly choked on my coffee when somebody said that. Are you a writer? And I said, no. What makes you think that? And they said, you know, I mean, generally they said, because you are so articulate and you seem to sum things up, you have such a great way of feeding back stuff. And and it literally was on that course, on that day, that I realized I no longer had to had to live by that label. And 18 months later, 
I had my first book published. Mm, so all you needed was just that little bit of confidence. Yeah. Or, or, or to be pointed out that, that labels that we've carried around with us, we can question. You know, she's the shy one or she's the, the noisy one or, you know, all of those things. All of those things. She's not creative. Um, rubbish at maths. All, all of those things that we've oh. gone through life with, that we've picked up from, you know, parents or teachers or significant others or friends or bosses, colleagues, whatever. It's just being being careful what you what you take on really. Mm. And I think that 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 had a profound effect on me. And I think it boils down to we don't have to believe our thinking. All right? We don't have to believe that story in our head. It's you know is this true? That's the sort of stuff I talk about that uh, is when you wake up at 3 a.m. and your brain wants to remind you of all your failures in life. Yeah. Well, it's got your undivided attention, so it can really run down that long list. Yeah, exactly. And one of my friends um, talks about that being shit FM. <laughs> And we don't need to listen to it. <laughs> oh. Change the channel. So you came to the point where you wrote your first book. Now, the title of it always reminds me of that old saying about always wear clean underwear in case you get run down. But Best Nick is always... Yeah. ...was about... Yes, that was something... It, that So I was 45. I was separated. I had a lot going on in my life. Um, one of my, my eldest was leaving home for university. Um, so he was 18. My daughter had an eating disorder. She was 14, 15 around that time. My marriage had ended. My youngest, who was 10 at the time, he'd kind of lost the plot at school because of with everything that was going on. And my life was in felt like it was in freefall, or I was there trying to spin everybody else's plate and really struggling myself. And I'm so grateful because that's when I was training to be a coach. So I was able to show up in that conference room for over 18 months in all as me, as Rebecca, not as a wife or a mother or a carer or a... I don't know, parent, daughter, sister, anything like that. I was able to just show up as me. And um, and obviously with this newfound love of putting my thoughts down on paper, I just started writing. And um, And things kind of got better. And it was just before, so, you know, that, that, that took a number, that took probably about five years. Um, and just before my 50th birthday, I decided 
it kind of it it I, it was interesting. It came to me. I was sat outside in on the deck of, in my house. Sun was shining. Nobody else was awake in the house, and I just started writing down my thoughts on why I was feeling better. What 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 had happened over the last five years to make me feel like I felt that morning. And all of these things, all of these kind of life lessons, if you like, poured out of me. And then I started putting it together and decided to put together an ebook and put it out on my 50th birthday. And I called it Best Nick as Always, 50 Lessons for Midlife. And that phrase was something that happened in a WhatsApp message. Did we have WhatsApp back then? It could have been a text message, I don't know, from a friend who was checking in with me and she just said, how, how are you doing today? So this was way back when I wasn't feeling great. And I said, rubbish, to be honest. I'm feeling rubbish. I'm not sure where, how I'm feeling today. I'm not sure I'll ever smile again. And she said, look after yourself, take one day at a time, and remember best Nick as always. <laughs> and I laughed because, goodness me, I knew exactly what she meant. This wasn't about me being newly single. This was about looking after myself, respecting myself, being kind to myself. And it, that had to be the name of the book. And, you know, people get that. And it might be that, you know, underwear isn't your thing, but it's, and it's, and, and yes, my grandmother used to say the same thing as well, always have clean underwear on in case you're picked up by the ambulance service. <laughs> um, but it was just, it, for me, it was a metaphor about, um, looking after myself and and gosh it's relevant today in this pandemic right that we are so many of us are particularly if you've got children at home and are homeschooling as well as keeping down a job and that um we are looking or are looking after aging parents or those that are shielding is that we are doing for others all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And we we put ourselves at the bottom of the list. And and for me that took a lot of a lot of thinking about because I was raised in a very well, I was raised as a Catholic and you know you you didn't put yourself first ever. You know? And um, and that and that was tough, but and I remember, and I wrote, you know, this is written in the book. Around, I remember having a wake up call, sat on a flight just before you take off, and the the cabin crew were running through, you know, where the exits are and the lights and you know the whatever, take your high heels off and all of that lot. And then they said, if there's a drop in pressure in the cabin, oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling put yours on before you help anybody else with theirs. How many times have we heard that? And it's like, oh my gosh, I, I, if I'm not breathing, 
how can I support anybody else? If I'm not looking after my needs, how can I be the best parent or the best partner or the best colleague or the, you know, all, all of that? And yet we see it as selfish. Women, I think maybe. Men, men do as well, because I mean, part of being a parent is that you have to put your children and your partner first, or so thinking goes. Yeah. So whether you end up erasing yourself to take care of others or not. That's and when do you get your own life back? Yeah. And it's and it's so important that 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 you know and I, I hate the term really but self care because it's so overused and it's been so. Ugh. You're not into the bubble bath and prosecco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if that's your thing, that's fine. But actually, sometimes it might be um, just saying no to something. All right, that might be self care. You know, when, when my daughter was ill, so she had anorexia, and for any parents or people listening that are struggling with eating disorders, then you know it's like nothing else. It's the most terrifying thing as a parent for your child to go through. Um, but I knew that actually I had, again, wake-up calls because – I I wasn't looking after myself properly in that because of course I needed to make my daughter better but that that I couldn't do that she had to want to do that for herself and yes of course I sowed seeds and but I can't make her get better she has to want that and but I remember at one particular moment and we there were so many arguments and door slamming and things that were said and anger and everything, which was the eating disorder, not, you know, she, she was there. I get glimpses of her, but it was the eating disorder. And I just remember at one point saying, I, I'm, I need to leave the room right now because I know that what comes out of my mouth next won't be helpful. And I left the room with her screaming, don't you leave me, don't you walk away from me. And I went into my bedroom um, and closed the door and spent, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes up there. Just regrouping, crying and regrouping. And that was an act of self-care. Oh. And that's really hard. I suppose it really borders on self-preservation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, if you were to mention a few of the the midlife, um, uh, the fifty midlife uh, lessons. Lessons. Let me grab the book. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to open the book and just. So, lesson thirteen: Listen to and trust your intuition. Shall I read a bit of it? Go ahead. We so often doubt ourselves. We listen more to what others think or say than to ourselves. Yet there's this aching in the back of our minds, a knowing and an inclination towards the right choice. Often we must make a wrong decision to realise that listening to our own intuition would have led to us to better things. So have courage. 
because you have deep wisdom. No one said it would be easy to trust our intuition and it will be a long, hard road. But when a choice feels right for you, pursue it. So that's a little bit of it. Um, yeah, that's... Oh, and I think, I think that trusting our intuition is something that affects men and women, that we, we block it out we, because of what others think, because of what will others say. Um, and I think that's, it's important for us. I think we can all live more wholeheartedly if we can be open in our communication and, and trusting that. Um, I think the whole idea of social media validation sort of goes against that, doesn't it? Because everyone wants the world yeah. to validate them and their choices. Yeah. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt well, I've seen it. I've seen it both Eleanor Roosevelt and Mark Twain. So I don't know who said it. I need to dig dig deeper. But they said, "What others think of you is none of your business." Hmm. And I I love that. And I, as the older I get, the more I love that because it's their opinion. It's somebody else's opinion. It's not you. All right, but we so often, and as you say, absolutely, social media is all about, for, for, and for younger people, and this is one of my fears around eating disorders, is that it's all about social media and, and the influence, and, and those, a lot of influences. It's all about the likes, it's all about the, or the retweets or the whatever. Um, and, and that's that's frightening. There's a really interesting, there's a really good short YouTube, and I can't remember who, who it's by, but it's called Are You Living an Instant Lie? And I share it with all the young people I work with. And it's all about, I mean, you just, just watch it and have a look because it's basically lots of young people and it's not I mean this isn't specifically I mean I think it's everybody not just young people but there are young people in this video and it's like there's this guy who's holding up his green smoothie takes a photo of it and says new start new me he takes you know straight up onto Instagram he takes a sip of it and you see him chuck it in the bin all right there's a table at a restaurant of half a dozen young people getting the waitress to take a photograph of them they're all on their phones and they they all post the picture and say, great to hang out with this lot. But they're all on their phones. They're not with each other. And they're looking at the likes and then sharing the likes with their person that's next to them. And it's, this is, um, you see, and for me, thinking of that related to that, you know, intuition, it's like deep down, deep down, we know that that feels a bit weird. But we are, on the surface, we're insecure. I think there's a, a very asymmetric thing about um, feedback from the internet. Because if someone gives you a crummy comment, that will be something that's taken them, say, 10 seconds to peck out on their phone. You suck. But that will take up hours and hours if not weeks and years 
of your mental capacity just dealing with that and i don't think people sort of think about that at all when they're just throwing out these shitty messages no they don't and it's interesting isn't it why do we focus on that one let's say one negative comment when we had 25,000 positive ones i mean there's huge extremes but you know what i mean Hmm. And actually, it's because what we're seeing is that we are connecting with a negative comment because that's what we feel about ourselves. So even the positive comments, we're not taking positively in, in, in that. Do, do you know what I mean? We're, we're, we're going, oh, no, no, they, well, they, they don't mean that. They don't mean that. So many hmm. people can, can do that. So what we're doing is looking for the negative one just to prove what we're feeling about ourselves a lot of the time. Um, and that's messed up, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. It strikes me that, say, people of middle age probably are more capable of dealing with these things because we have more experience and are more wise to the ways of the world than someone who's say 13 and just starting out and if you think what it's like right now with us you know having been in lockdown certainly in the uk it would probably be the best part of a year all right you eating disorders have gone through the roof there's a, um, a charity in the uk called beat and they i mean exponential growth in call-outs to them because what's going on as well is that their friends who they're not seeing in person are posting images of themselves on social media with all the filters oh. all the filters so they then look at themselves in the mirror and go oh, i don't look like that oh i better stop eating or i better exercise more or i better Whatever. They are impossible ideals. Once you know that someone has been surgically enhanced, they've got their lips filled out, and personal trainers and whatnot, and even when they're that far along, they still have to Photoshop themselves and tweak and do everything. And that's supposed to be the ideal. I mean, it's no wonder that people feel crummy about themselves. Exactly. I'm not sure if that's more so when we're getting to middle-aged and things are sort of saggy and wrinkly and uh, and so forth. Um, do we have less confidence in our mid middle age than when we were teens? Oh, it's well, I have more confidence now than I than I used to. Okay, and um, it's it's interesting because one of the things that came out of um, lockdown and i'll just briefly say this and then and talk about that kind of body image thing is uh, myself my daughter and two other friends who are coaches have set up um four women four decades where we're, we're offering online workshops uh, not workshops um webinars at the moment um and we're doing one on body image um on the uh, the end of january and be because body image is such a massive thing. Um, 
and and it's so interesting because we shame our bodies all right we are so caught up in what our body looks like and our body if you think about it, is is just the shell that houses who we are all right we don't give our bodies credit for what it does without our input you know it's like my body breathes itself i don't have to remind it to breathe my heart pumps without me having to tell it to pump my body knows when it needs sleep and my body knows when it needs food but we get involved and we compare and we have expectations and we think that what we look like is who we are and it breaks my heart all right my daughter had an eating disorder for almost 10 years she was in battle with her body for that long and and i see it every day in the work i do um this time of year in january every you, you i mean tv programs every advert is about weight loss weight loss weight loss weight loss weight loss mm. we are shamed by big business they 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 make their money on making us feel rubbish um and you know our, our whole confidence for well, for some people certainly when they're young feels like it depends on fitting in being like everybody else and that's such a a weight to carry around i feel um and and it's interesting that you know when i look back so i grew up by the by the seaside in south wales so i spent my summers on the beach in bikinis or whatever but i always remember wearing a t-shirt to walk around as a teenager and i was kind of I've probably been seen as slim but i still had issues and and i'm talking the 1970s all right but you know and it's now when and you'll hear it from so many women that say the one you know i it, what one of the things i could say to my younger self was you know wear that dress wear that bikini don't be don't be you know worried about your body but what i feel now is just more confident i guess in who i am but also in yeah in my body sure there are there are days that i wake up and i go uh oh gravity <laughs> you know we <laughs> do but we can yeah well actually that's something i'm going to be talking about on this podcast uh, on this um the webinar we do but i have such a problem with the term anti-aging i did notice that recently um there's one of these guys i follow on instagram who was promoting um his anti-aging regime of uh, moisturizers supplements uh exercising 
and he even had his own anti-aging doctor. Oh, gosh. And I was thinking, oh, God, that sounds like so much work. <laughs> yeah. And we age. We age. And, and, and the guy looks about just the age he is, if not a little older. Yeah. So I don't know how it's working out. No, quite. Um, but it's funny, isn't it? Because <laughs> I remember <laughs> maybe five years after my divorce, I bumped into some friend. Oh, I bumped into a friend and she was with somebody I knew as an acquaintance. And afterwards, the comment that was fed back to me was, um, how come Rebecca looks younger now than she did five years ago when I last saw her? And and I just said, no, not used anything. I've not had a facelift, no nothing. Actually, it's contentment and happiness. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So the weight of my unhappiness was showing on my face. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and... You know, I am the age I am, and I can be pro-aging. And sure, I can do the things that are going to help me. You know, I've always moisturized. I'm, I am, well, in fact, I've start, I started just before lockdown, and, and I've been keeping up with a PT once a week because I want to be strong, because I don't want to... I, it's kind of I, I say to her, it's my my weekly set my weekly insurance policy that I want my body to be strong for no other purpose than I don't want osteoporosis, frankly, if I can help it. Well, I mean, there is something to be said for not sabotaging yourself. I mean, drinking a lot, unhealthy food, just sitting around. Uh, you are not doing yourself any favours. So I can can get on board with that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And and the the confidence thing in later life is interesting because I wrote this down because a friend um, was, she messaged us, so the, the four women, four decades, one of them was doing a talk on confidence to, I don't know who, who, who they were. They might have been students. I can't remember. So she just messaged us all and said, word association, when you think of confidence, what, what are the words that pop into your head? And so this was from myself and a friend in her 40s and then my daughter in her 20s. And we came up with words like, well, mine were at ease, comfortable in my skin, relaxed, powerful, playful, lighthearted, creative, open. Um, and other words that the others were coming up with were things like resourceful, energized, having something to contribute, clarity, trusting of myself, trusting of the process, connected. And I, I love those words. They're all very positive. Yeah. And that's the that that's kind of for me that feeling of confidence at this at this point in my life. And I think that that's because 
I have ex- I've accepted so much of what's gone on in the past in my life that I'm happy to be here, that I'm not living my life um, regretting. That's another thing that ages us, <laughs> regretting. Oh, yes, the regrets and uh, all the things you realise will never happen in your life and uh, all the opportunities missed and... Uh, but, we can, you know, we, you could do a whole podcast on that, couldn't you? I'm not sure you'd get many listeners. <laughs> or maybe you could get totally bogged down in it. <laughs> but actually, you know, yeah, stuff happened. And stuff might not have worked out as we'd wanted. But, you know, my my view having experienced the the dark places is that we we're here for such a short time in the grand scheme of things and and i want to experience life all of it life being more than netflix i think so <laughs> yeah mm. and there's there's no problem with that but there is so much more to life and you know i think this is the the thing that that people struggle with in this pandemic being isolated is our connection with other people i mean thank god we've got the internet and we've got you know you and i can be sat here you know recording this and and that actually my one of my sons who lives in the US, I can speak to him and see him. I haven't seen him for a year. I haven't seen him properly for about 18 months. So that we don't feel as isolated. But actually connection is connection is what brings meaning to certainly my life. And I would say everybody's life, most people's life is connection. Because ironically, if you're suffering depression, you tend to pull away from people, yeah. like a, an animal who's sick will seek solitude. Yeah, a- absolutely. And that was certainly my experience at the time. And, and I mean, I found it tough because I was raising three kids at the time as well. But but there is, yeah, there there is that pulling away, and and. And I think what's important, you know, if you are struggling, is even if it's just one person. I remember I had post, I mean, a big dollop of depression postnatally after my third child, and there was one friend that I could talk to. And I just picked up the phone one morning, and she knew it was me. I couldn't speak. And she just said, I've got the kettle on, come over. And that's all I needed to do. I didn't need to say anything, say anything to her, just show up. And I knew she was there. Um, and that I found really helpful. Um, Nowadays, you've got quite quite the life back um, with, with the Perkins empire of media and books and uh, whatnots. Uh, yeah, 
I, so there is hope after all. Yes, exactly. No, exactly. Um, and, you know, and, and, and the thing is as well, it's like if, if I'm, you know, having a bad day, I know it's not a bad life. I know it's not permanent. I know it passes. And that's really, really important. And I just feel so grateful that I get to do the work that I love, that it, it, it does impact people. It's funny, isn't it? I found that hard. It's, we, we do find it hard to say, to pat ourselves on the back sometimes, don't we? Um, but, but yes, our, you know, uh, so the book I wrote, um, The Best Nick as Always, has led to some wonderful work, um, working one-to-one with women and men in midlife. And I've run some workshops. They're on pause at the moment. But just helping people become um, unstuck, I guess, from their patterns in their life, helping them see that there's, you know, another way. And I and I love that. I absolutely love that work. It's seeing a, a smile come to people's faces again, and hope, um, which is so cool. Uh, and then, obviously, with the work I do with my daughter, which which is very powerful. Um, again, helping. So we wrote a book called Recovery from Within: A Mother and Daughter's Journey Through Anorexia. And we've got a YouTube channel. We we give talks. We give talks at universities. Um, parent groups, all sorts of things. Um, we're looking to write another book, which would be really good. And that that's going to be on body image and aimed at the teens market. Um, yeah, it's fulfilling, which is great. I love it. I hope no one's telling you that you suck. <laughs> <laughs> it is, how is feedback? Is it good? Um, feedback's fine, actually. Yes, um, I, th- I think because we are certainly with eating disorders, we're reaching people who are struggling. So we're posting messages of hope, and you know, certainly for parents that me too thing, so that they feel that it's not just them you know, that are going through it. So, yeah, so no, we haven't had anything like you suck, which is <laughs> maybe, maybe we're not ruffling enough feathers. <laughs> or, or maybe you're just reaching a more serious yeah. audience who actually appreciate more. Yeah. I mean, the sort of random social media hate is really just people living crummy lives and crummy, unhappy little lives lashing out at yeah, others. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's... Um, that's sad. I find that really sad. Um, yeah, there's so much about them, which is which is not great. I'm trying to come up with a, a sort of elegant way to um, to do a bit of a 90 degree turn here yeah. into the world of garments again, <laughs> which I think we have sort of totally missed so far. But uh, never mind. Yeah. Um, you were telling me before about how, how your son has developed an interesting project um, while well, he's had some uh, 
time to focus on other things. Can we get into that? Yeah, of course. Well, I guess it starts way back in that my mum was a needlecraft teacher. She was a pattern cutter and she'd trained up in London and she was a, a tailor and you know so so I I always tell this story that I I could hold a needle before I could hold a pen um whether that's true or not I don't know but I was never frightened of sewing you know I was always sewing she was always sewing um she made our clothes I made my clothes I remember going to university age 18 with my sewing machine that was one of my important things to take with me um and made my own clothes and then when my kids were little I made their clothes and then of course fast fast fashion came in and it was so expensive and all the fashion the fabric shops shut down because nobody was sewing anymore but I did a lot of patchwork and back and quilting and that kind of stuff always kept it up um and then obviously with the Great British Sewing Bee and everything, everybody's now sewing again, which is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And it's taken off even more so in lockdown. So my 22-year-old son, my youngest, was at home during lockdown. He was finishing his degree. And uh, he said, I'd really love to know how to make a sweatshirt for myself. So I was jumping up and down and it was great. So we went and looked and got some fabric and a pattern and I showed him what to do. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And the next thing, I mean, this is what, uh, maybe, maybe this is young people, maybe it's him, I don't know. The next thing he did was draft his own pattern to make a jacket. <laughs> Wow, that's ambitious. Japanese Naragi-style jacket, which is very kind of, it's just literally a back piece, two fronts and two sleeves. So it's very, you know, square or rectangular. Um, he he bought some linen fabric from Merchant & Mills, which is one of my favourite fabric shops. Um, and he started posting stuff on Instagram. And... He, you know, the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing. And he just taught himself. He, by this point, I mean, we were still in the same house, but he would get on and do it and he would just check with me, you know, is this right? Should I do that? What do you think of this? So he was, he wasn't, he taught himself with me there. I mean, he'd probably say, no, 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 mum, you taught me, but he just got on and did it. Um, and he, you know, he's, he's now got a whole bunch of followers on Instagram one of the one of the fabric um, online fabric shops, I think they're based up in the north of England, called Minerva, got in touch with him and said, "We'd love to feature you as one of our bloggers. We what the, what the plan is is that we send you fabric, or you get to choose what fabric, and you know once a month or as often as you like, in return for you writing a blog about it. And it's it's amazing." Amazing. And then he was um, approached by, so there's a really cool hashtag that was started by an amazing African-American guy called Norris Danterford. I don't know if you've seen him or know of him. He and his wife, Mimi G, have, I don't know how many thousands of followers. They teach people how to sew. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, amazing. They've got they they work with one of the big fashion pattern companies. Um, 
anyway, Norris created this cool hashtag, which is dope men sew. <laughs> so Dan started using this. And then the next thing, and this happened, when was this? The beginning of January. Norris got in touch with Dan and said, I'd like, I'd love to interview you on my IGTV live. So there was Dan talking about his love of sewing and what he wants to do. And he's already talking about tailoring. And, and I just, I mean, it thrills. His, his grandmother, who died 18 months ago, would be just so thrilled, so delighted. And I think it's really good because, you know, dressmaking, well, it, the word dressmaking was seen as something that women did. Um, and yes, plenty of male fashion designers, but actually for it to be cool for men to sew is relatively new. I know, but you, you sew, Nick, don't you? I, I do when I have the time and uh, energy for it. I've always got a million more plans than I actually get round to, though. But I think it's wonderful because what it's shown him is an appreciation of, and he he, he loves fashion anyway. Um, he's style. He's always been style. I mean, for twenty, he's he's always been stylish. Um, but for him now to have an appreciation of fabric, of sustainability, of ethical manufacturing, um, and the appreciation of the whole process from design through to, to wear and what goes into it. Um, but also just learning that he can alter his own, you know, clothes now that, that fit him. Um, he's, he's, he's made, he's made himself a couple of shirts, you know, proper double collar, you know, um, plackets, the, the, the lot, and he's done it and he's learned and he's taught himself that. And it's interesting because he's recently started full-time work, had bought himself, decided to treat himself to two very nice shirts from some very nice online shop in the UK. He has made himself two shirts since and now sees the fit is so much better on his shirts, the ones that he made, mm. shop-bought ones, which were not cheap ones, you know. So I, I, I think that's remarkable. And the interesting thing is, is that a number of his friends now are saying to him, because I've seen you posting stuff, and he's doing like little mini in his Instagram stories. He'll do, you know, how all the steps that he's gone through to make the shirt, let's say. And he's got friends now saying, I'm getting a sewing machine for my birthday. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Pretty well, I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's great because it does give people an appreciation of the craft or lack of craft mm -hmm. that goes into much of what we buy. Yeah. And also, once you get started and you find that there are good instructions, and with a little effort, it isn't that hard. You know, that that's the thing. It's not rocket science. You know, it's actually and 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 here's the thing. It's like when so before that first sweatshirt that he made, he would look at a pattern, because I was I was cutting something out, 
and and he's a physicist so he he was he would say but i'm looking i don't understand he said i i struggle that that's a two dimensional thing that you're cutting out and how but how do you get like the sleeve for example how do you get that curved bit into that the curve that's the other way and and now he can look at it and go oh that's how it works and that's something that has changed over time because i think if you look back in time say a shirt would be a lot more complicated there'd be more bits and it was made more to the shape of the body but to save time and make things cheaper shirts nowadays have many fewer components yes and of course what he was saying what you were saying about um shirts he'd ordered from a from a maker are made to a standard fit or to their standard fit which in so many cases doesn't really fit anyone. No, because for example, he's got, you know, he's six foot one thereabouts. He's got long legs, but his and he and he he works out, so he's got quite a you know good neck. But the only option was to buy super long arms because of the size of his neck. <laughs> No, oh, I know this so well. Oh, yes. <laughs> so it's like the arms are too long for his neck, which is like, what? I also have a thick neck, and uh, the shirts which fit that neck have long arms, but they also have a chest measurement as if I'd been propping up the bar, drinking pints all my life. Or been in the front row of a rugby team. Yeah. All that, yes. Because yeah. my problem is that i'm fairly short but stout a little teapot yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so making my own shirts would be an option or ordering custom shirts but yeah. regularly regular made shirts almost never really fit the there are an i mean a number of really good shirt patterns out there and i think the one that he's done he Merchant Mills have got a kind of a loose fitting shirt that's that he's gonna he's gonna make one now in a twill. But the other one is a Vogue pattern, um, which is got all the pieces. Um and again he's learning how to and I think a more fitted one, but you know, that can all I think once you start making and it's worth making a twelve you know, uh, out of a calico or something like that so that you can fiddle around with that rather than cutting into your, your, you know, expensive fabric, um, is then you can make your body measurements. I have one I've made for making waistcoats, which is sort of kind of pretty much what I do make. <laughs> Always fab. I love them. I love them. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is fun being able to make something that no one else has and no one else supplies uh, out of a fabric that might be something quite different or so yeah. empowering, I guess. Yeah. And, of course, watching the Great British Sewing Bee is very fun. Oh, it's <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Love it. Well, his plan is to be on it. <laughs> uh, so we shall see. We shall see what happens there. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, yeah, and it and it makes me feel. It makes it. I love it. I love it that he does that. Would you say 
there is confidence in dressing, sort of making another swerve back into where we were before. I found personal experience that through many years of being a father for four children, that my sense of dress was practical more than anything else. And it wasn't until I got divorced and sort of restarted that I started caring about my appearance again. Yeah. Yes, it's it's interesting. And I think it, for some people um, it matters and others it doesn't. Um, I <laughs> One of the things that I've struggled with most in lockdown is that actually I'm in leggings or tracksuit bottoms a lot of the time and I'm sitting down and I'm working and that's fine but I miss the dressing up and I've you know I've made some things during lockdown that um that I haven't worn yet and that's okay but absolutely I certainly know that um you know for me one of one of the things, and obviously people are hearing this, not seeing it, but my hair was important for me. That 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 to me is part of my look, if you like. So I, at the age of thirty-five, stopped dyeing it because it was already going grey, and I've let it. It's now virtually white, and I like that. And that's part of m my dressing up as well if you like so at the moment I haven't had a haircut for ages because they're all the hairdressers are shut and that makes me feel a bit oh and I know that that's superficial at the same time but there is something uh, it, absolutely confidence wise that if my hair is if, if my hair's been cut if I'm wearing something that I, I feel good in then yes, I feel confident as well. But that's only a story that I'm telling myself anyway, you know. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's valid because you have. Uh, I find a lot of people say that they they have to dress up because they're worried about what people think about them. But my experience is that everyone's so concerned about what they look like that no one's really. Well, you do have people who judge others, but it's not like you're walking through town and everyone's just judging you scoring your outfit or whatever uh so really unless you're dressing up for your own pleasure benefit joy no one else really cares that much no and 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 if they do then that's their prob that's their issue anyway it's that you know going back to that quote what other people think of you is none of your business is that actually i'm dressing for me the best knickers always were for me Mm. Right, that you know, if if I if I want to make an effort, it's for me, not for anybody else. If they like it, great. If they don't, great. And also, why save the best knickers for some special occasion that may may never occur? Not quite, not quite. And and I remember my aunt saying to my sister once, my sister bought uh, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, that um, she'd bought this beautiful pale blue, almost floor-length coat, wool coat. I can't remember, a very nice brand. <clears throat> and my sister at the time was living in Moscow. And 
it was winter, obviously, so there was lots of muck on the roads. And my aunt had said to my sister, wear it every day, don't keep it till for best. It can be dry cleaned. And I just remember that was such a beautiful a, a beautiful kind of thing for her to say because, and she was saying it because she'd kept everything for best, mm. right? And my grandmother had kept everything for best. And it's like, I mean, they did that with everything in the house as well, the best plates, the best china, the best cutlery, whatever, you know. Plastic cover on the sofa. Uh, yeah, all of that. <laughs> and it's like we have, there's, there's, um, an American poet who died a couple of years ago called Mary Oliver, and I absolutely love her. And one of her, uh, something in her, one of her poems, and I'm going to get it, get the wording a bit wrong, but she says, tell me what it is you will do with this one wild, precious life of yours. All right. I love that. That gives us permission, if that's what we need, to wear it because you want to wear it. Or, or say yes because you want to say yes, or say no because you want to say no. It gives us permission, this one wild and precious life. Mm. Comes back to what you said earlier about life being short. Yeah. You know, mm. we think we live life as if we are immortal. <laughs> um we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about that. You know, um, you know, I'm 57. I'm very aware, you know, what I talk about is midlife. I'm way past midlife, really, if you think about it, unless I'm going to live to be 114. Is that right? Yes, 114. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but but you see what I mean, that we, we've got, you know, my, my dad is – He's going to be 89 in March. He's 30-something years older than me, and he's still full of life. But I think, actually, 30-plus years, that would be amazing for me. But it's like, oh, that's only 30 years. Well, it's, it comes down to the sort of tired old phrase of use it or lose it, doesn't it? If you have a purpose, if you have something you want to live for, a reason to live, then you probably will keep going. Yes, true. Yeah, unless, you know, we, we get some horrid diagnosis, obviously. But but it is that. It's, it's you know, I mean, it's a, it's a glib statement, really, but it's like people say, live, live each day as if it were your last. How many times have we heard that said? But actually, the sentiment is yes. As long as you don't take it too literally. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but having that as a sentiment is, you know, doing what brings you joy and, and looking at our lives in that way. Doing what, what, what looks like the, the next right thing to do. It's like, you, you know, you and I were saying before we recorded is that the the, the podcast came out of, oh, that might be a nice thing to do. Hmm. Just daring to do it and trying it. Yep. Will it fly? Yep. And that's that, that, around pondering and planning for years and years. 
Yes, the, I, I remember one of the best, one of the exercises that sticks with me from when I was training to be a coach was we had to get into just, I think, a group of three of us, and we had to ask each other to, to or to imagine we were, you know, on the in the last days of our life, and to look back over our life, and to talk to the person we were in that room about all the things that we were worried about or, you know, what we wished we'd done. And it's so interesting because people are never going to say, oh, I wish I'd spent more time in the office or I wish I'd really um, stuck with that relationship that was hurting me or just was had come to an end or I wish I'd, you know, they're going to, you know, we're, we're going to say, jump in, live life, say yes, try it. You know, I think that's really important. And for me, you know, one of my mantras of, of, of my whole kind of midlife coach work is, if not now, when? If not me, who? Mm. If not now, when? That sort of strikes uh, uh, resonance with me. Uh, one of my things is um, don't sit around waiting to be discovered because you'll be sitting there for an awful long time. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it, you know, it's like it, the more we try things, the more lucky we get. Mm. Because if we have no expectations <clears> – <throat> Of you know, it's like it's like with with the podcast or with any stuff that I've done. If I if I go at it with no expectations, I'm more likely to not only enjoy it but have more chance of it being successful than if I am pinning all my hopes on this one thing. Mm. We kind of contract then it's almost like it's got to look like this and then i'll be happy and then it you know when it's successful then i'll be happy mm. and it doesn't work mm. that way we're really just setting ourselves up to fail yep and the sabotaging ourselves as well whereas if you know it's like with the with the four women four decades we are friends we were coaches one of us has had the idea of oh be, wouldn't it be cool sometime that we'll hire a venue and we'll just the four of us sit on us sit on sofas and we'll invite people to come and listen to us talk about our life lessons what we've learned what we've seen differently and we and then deciding well everybody's at home why don't we just send out a zoom link no expectations and here we are almost a year later looking to set up in partnership reaching more people coming up with ideas of how we can make change and 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 that was just trying something mm. now you've got me all thinking all enthusiastic about it now and i'm not even part of it <laughs> yeah. mm. on that note do you have any final words? I think we're sort of reaching the end of our time now. Is there anything you'd like to share in closing? Well, I guess there's just one quote that comes to mind that I 
has, has really helped me. Um, Howard Thurman said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And I think mm. a nice, nice place to stop, really, to consider that. Excellent. Okay, then, Becca. Thanks a lot for being my guest today. My I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's been, it's been great fun. And um, bye-bye. And that concludes this week's episode of Gomology. Thanks to Rebecca Perkins for being a gracious guest. Um, Rebecca's main website is themidlifecoach.com. Uh, I'll uh, add all Rebecca's other ventures in the show notes. I'm uh, Nick Johannesson. I'm the host and creator of Gomology. It would really help if you'd leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. It's really hard to get noticed in the podcast world today, so anything helps to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch, the email address is gomology at welldressedad.com. If you enjoyed Gomology, you probably enjoy the blog as well at welldressedad.com, and you might even enjoy my Instagram, which predictably is welldressedad. So catch you again next week. Bye-bye.